You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Today is a special Sunday. It's the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas Eve is coming, and I'm excited for that. It's also a family Sunday, which has already been mentioned. Um, So that means the kids are upstairs with us. Can I talk to the kids for just a moment? Where are you guys at? Give me a wave if you can hear my voice. Kids get kids. And uh, it's it's nice to see you upstairs this morning. Um, Do you recognize this? Kids get kids. Adults, maybe not so much, but what is this? It's a red piece of paper, but it's our memory verse for December. Um, So I'm going to read this. If you happen to have it memorized, feel free to say it with me. Um, Isaiah 9, 6 says, He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So those are the names of the Savior that we've been discussing in Kidsgate and memorizing. And actually, the adults upstairs will also recognize this passage as we have been going through these names of Jesus as well. And so, uh, kids, I need your help with something this morning, if you should so choose to accept. Um, That last name of the Savior, Prince of Peace, is what I'm going to be preaching about. And because I'm preaching about peace, I'm going to say the word peace a ton of times, like a bunch, okay? This, just, this is just what happens when you preach about something. You repeat the same word over and over and over. So I wanted to have a little game. Um, if you know how to keep a tally, do you know what a tally is where you make five marks and you keep track? Or you could just make check marks or whatever works for you to keep track of this word peace. You can get the sheets of paper that you have or the crayons And as I go through, starting with the passage that I'll read in just a moment, I want you to keep track of the amount of times that I say peace. Adults, if this excites you too, go for it. Um, And then after the service, you can find me and uh, the person who's maybe closest to the actual amount of times that I do say the word peace will get whatever imaginary prize you would like, okay? (laughs) We're all winners this morning. Uh, We're going to keep track, starting with the passage, of how many times I say peace, okay? So this is Isaiah 9, 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and every bloody garment of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Eternal Father, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forever. 
The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thank you, God. I threw you guys off there by switching the names around accidentally. Um, <laughs> I, uh, let's go back to my childhood for a moment, if you will. Uh, I grew up in central Alberta, and there was this phenomenon where I was from, just north of Red Deer, where in the summertime, if we were going to have a nice hot summer day, maybe go to the beach or eat ice cream or get a sunburn, um, you were going to pay for it later on in the form of uh, usually a tornado or some other humongous kind of storm. So in Lethbridge, we don't really understand this because we'll have like a month of hot days and maybe one storm. In central Alberta, you would have a hot day and a terrible storm. And so you, there was sort of this sense that would just loom over you as you enjoyed the hot weather that you knew you were going to pay for it later on. And we lived with it. It wasn't very fun. But I think partly due to this fact, for a short time, although it felt like forever, there was a time when I was a kid where I was afraid not just of storms, but of wind, period. Okay? It's okay to laugh. Uh, I'm over it now. Um, praise God. But there was a time, yeah, where I just had an irrational fear, right? I had a phobia of the, the wind. And any time that the wind would come up, uh, my peace was, my, my inner peace was gone with the wind, so to speak, right? It, it drove me nuts. And I'm sure it drove my parents nuts. Bless their souls. They were very patient with me. Um, but of course, the, the, a uh, big punchline of this joke is that I probably never heard of a city called Lethbridge at that time, but if I had, I would have done everything in my power to completely avoid going anywhere near the second windiest city in Canada, which is Lethbridge, second only to St. John's, New Brunswick. Um, yeah, this would be like my worst nightmare living here. Um, uh, there is a reason that God doesn't let us know the future. There's actually lots of reasons. <laughs> Uh, but there is a reason that God doesn't let us know the future. Uh, but the issue with me as a kid was that my inner peace was dependent on the absence of something, right? Something silly. It was wind. My inner peace was dependent on the absence of something. And I have to point out that actually, as I said this, I feel like in southern Alberta, I've observed that many adults have a phobia, uh, not of the wind, but of the snow. Anybody? Have an irrational fear of the white stuff? No? I don't think you're being very honest because I hear a lot of complaining whenever it snows. Um, anyways, everyone's different, and that's, that's okay. So um, this reasoning about our peace being dependent upon the absence of something, I think continues into adult life and behaviors as well. Right? In many cases, we associate peace with the absence of bad things, don't we? Uh, to many of us, peace means the absence of conflict or fighting, or the absence of anxiety, or the absence of pain, or fear, or hardship, or whatever. And this makes sense as a part of the way that we understand what peace is, right? If we don't have war, then we have peace, and this is a good thing. However, this is only a part of the true description or the Bible's description of what peace is all about. So I want us to begin to understand peace in a little bit of a different way this morning. It's not simply the absence of bad things. 
as we read in our passage this morning, God promises his presence to us, a child given to us. And it is his presence that promises a a lasting, transcendent peace in our midst. So peace is not simply just the absence of something. For Christians, peace is the presence of someone. Okay? It's not just the absence of something bad. It's the presence of someone good. Uh, The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. You've probably heard that before. That's what Isaiah would have said as he wrote the prophecy. It's not just the absence of bad things, but the presence of a Savior. And so the good news of Christmas is not just so much that that all the bad things in the world just disappear for the season, because that's not true. But the good news is that someone became present in our midst, someone good. And I want us to consider this, because if we continue to live our lives where we equate uh, peace with the absence of suffering, we're going to continue to be disappointed and frustrated Right? Especially with a God who claims to be the Prince of Peace. If, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, then why don't I feel peace? Or why don't I see peace when I look outside? So we need to read Scripture and change our thinking ever so slightly, or perhaps dramatically, to learn that uh, the Prince of Peace is reigning, but it's more complex than that. Uh, let's go straight to the source. The words of Jesus in John 16, 33. Listen to this to start. Jesus is telling his disciples, I told you these things so that you may have peace. Okay, thank you. Sounds good. You will have suffering in the world. Okay. Be courageous, says Jesus. I've conquered the world. So here in the same breath, as Jesus offers us peace, he actually also promises us suffering, doesn't he? And this is a sentiment that is repeated by Jesus and the letters and the rest of the New Testament, again, the reality of suffering is not ignored by Jesus or by the gospel or by the Christmas story. It's very much acknowledged. But rather, as I've been saying, no longer should peace be equated with perfect tranquility, you know, uh, whatever that would be for you, maybe sitting on a private island just with no, not a care in the world. That's nice, but that's not the picture of peace that Jesus gives us. So let's set that aside so that we're not confused and frustrated and having a crisis of faith whenever we're uncomfortable, okay? Yes, we long for completeness, for that shalom, for the wholeness, the restoration where all the complicated bits of life are put together perfectly. That is peace, absolutely. But today, let's acknowledge that the presence of pain and suffering doesn't mean that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is defeated or that he is not mighty to save. It's far from it. Because as we have heard in our Advent readings and the Christmas songs and all the things of the season, God actually uh, moved towards the suffering of humankind in the Christmas story, right? Jesus moved into the world to bring us peace and hope, while we endure our temporary afflictions of difficult circumstances. And it starts with the very way that he was born, into a manger, to a poor and marginalized set of parents in an obscure part of the world. Jesus moves towards our pain and suffering, 
and takes it on as the Prince of Peace. And I love how the angels uh, announce his birth as well to the shepherds. It's so fitting, Luke 2.14, they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. The angels acknowledge the peace that Jesus brings as well. Jesus is the gift of peace. He embodies peace as he arrives on earth, and the angels shout it out. So I'd like to describe this this morning, or more so I'll read scriptures that describe what this means, right? How the peace of Jesus uh, truly works, how it is true, what it means for us. There's two main ways that I'll describe uh, from the Bible, and then I'm going to return to those two main ways and see how we would respond to them. So it's like an ABAB pattern. That's the format. Make sense? As going forward? Okay. We're going to have the two main ways, and then we'll t- return back to those themes and respond to them. So the first and most important way that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he embodies peace, is to bring unity between us and God. Okay, this is the first and main way that Jesus is Prince of Peace as he achieves unity between humanity and God. This would be, or can be called a vertical peace, right? It's between us and God. This matters because without God's grace, humans are destined to continuously contradict God's rule in our lives again and again, right? We call this sin, the problem of sin. It's as simple as the desire to be in charge of ourselves, right? To be in control of our own destiny, to run the universe ourselves. Uh, Thomas Nagel, a philosopher and atheist, refers to his atheism as a cosmic authority problem. A cosmic authority problem. And I think he's, because he he says, "I, I don't want this to be true, that there is someone in charge of me and the universe. And he's right. It's not just for atheists, though. It's humanity in general, isn't it? We all possess this desire to take judgment into our own hands, like our ancestors Adam and Eve, right? Instead of trusting that God's way is better. We're all subject to this cosmic authority problem, so to speak, whether we'd like to admit it or not. However, the difference is how we handle the problem, what we, how we deal with the problem that would separate, say, an atheist from a Christian. Because as Christians, we understand and accept that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that Isaiah was true in his prophecy of the Savior, that Jesus brings an end to our rebellion and invites us to repent from sin and to yield to God's love and be brought close with God as his truth is revealed to us through Jesus. To describe this, I'll read uh, two incredible passages. Romans 5 first uh, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Colossians 1, 19-22, which I think has already been read a couple of times in Advent, we'll read again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him, before God. Praise God. Jesus makes peace with God not only a possibility, but a reality, right? That we are blessed to experience today and eternally. A humanity that is rebelling against God is brought back to him and, as Paul said, made blameless before God because of Jesus the Savior. So this is just, I I realize I'm going super quickly through these very important passages, but this would be the first way that Jesus embodies this name, Prince of Peace, that he achieves vertical peace, that is, peace between us and God the Father. And the second way, some of you will already see where this is going, the second way that Jesus is Prince of Peace is a result of the first, because when Jesus unites us back to God, we are also led towards peace in our human relationships, right? in the, verti- uh, the horizontal plane, so to speak, between me and you. So the second piece is horizontal. And there are a lot of examples of how this happens in the life of a Christian as Jesus is at work and the Holy Spirit moves us. I hope that you could think of examples from your own life of peace between you and someone else, thanks to God, Uh, But a very good example from the Bible is explained by uh, Paul in Ephesians. Paul is attempting to pastor a church uh, of two very separate people groups who prior to Jesus had no interest in one another and in fact were basically incompatible. But now they're meant to be uh, united as the church, the body of Christ, through Jesus. And so Paul is talking about this in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from two, resulting in peace." He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put hostility to death. He came and proclaimed good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to one spirit in the Father. So here we see the Prince of Peace uniting us not only to the Father, but to people people who otherwise we were formerly in conflict with, right? Without Jesus, this this peace was unthinkable. But under the rule of the Prince of Peace, the walls of hostility, I love that picture. He says the walls of hostility were torn apart, praise God. So our hostility between one another is put to death on the cross, and so peace can reign in our lives and in our relationships. Okay, so these are the two sort of big picture ways that we know the truth of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. But in what ways do they manifest? How do we practice and experience them daily? Well, first of all, returning to our first 
type of peace, the vertical one. While Jesus brings us into peace with God, we continue to submit ourselves to God. We continue to submit our own idea of happiness, um, our, our desire to be in control, as I was saying, of, of the universe, and actually say, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. And it's no longer necessary that I find peace in my circumstances and that I create my own sense of peace by having the perfect life. Let's be honest. At best, good circumstances are enjoyable but fleeting, right? And at worst, life is super hard and challenging, very difficult. So anyways, we can repent, basically. We can come back to God and repent for striving to rule the world, to seek uh, this peace on our own terms, and to admit, again, God, I am not in charge of the universe. I don't control my own destiny, but God, you do, and you are good, and, and I can trust in your ways instead of mine. God, you're the creator. You are the king. Each breath from you is a gift, so thank you, Lord. So we surrender. And so as we move away from the idea of peace, depending upon our circumstances, depending upon the absence of bad things, we actually abide and dwell in the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is our peace. We consciously choose to dwell upon God's goodness, which transcends even when we are experiencing conflict and hardship. We abide and rest in knowing and being known by a God who simply loves us. So this is an experience or a practice of the theology of that vertical peace between us and God made at the cross. We come to God and we admit that he provides our peace, that he provides our, li our very lives, everything. And we experience the wonders of his love at work daily. Um, Philippians 4, 6-7 is a, a good passage for this moment. It says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, we present our requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And responding to that second point, the horizontal peace between us and other humans, as we find peace for our souls in Jesus, we will begin to live as peacemakers in the world, right? Christians should be the ones who bring peace to families and friends and neighbors, even enemies, because it has been given to us by God in his grace, and what this looks like is fairly simple. Um, choosing to forgive as we've been forgiven, right? Instead of living lives holding on to bitterness. Um, choosing to love our enemies instead of hating our enemies. Um, to behave in ways that are good and right instead of evil. And so on. And in this sense, we know, I, I think we all know that every day is full of opportunities to exhibit the peace of God in our lives, to align with uh, not kingdoms of the world, but uh, the kingdom where Jesus truly reigns as Prince of Peace, to show that. 
And this is not usually easy. Um, some have called this the hard work of peace, and rightfully so, right? Making peace is hard work. In fact, ironically, sometimes it even results in conflict, as we're going to be learning from Jesus a little bit later on in the Gospel of Luke. Um, it's not always easy, but it is a tangible expression of that grace we've received from God ex extended to those around us in our lives. Furthermore, rather than uh, resisting and avoiding all uh, conflict at all costs, but by moving towards uh, peace, uh, sorry, pain and suffering in the world, then we actually follow Jesus in his way as he has done for us, right? As Jesus moved towards those who are hurting and lost to show them his love, and we follow that example of Jesus in this sense too. So having said all this, let us make peace with one another, uh, starting in our homes and in our churches and in our communities reaching outwards into the world. And as this is the last uh, Sunday of Advent before Christmas, I, I want to conclude by mentioning that Advent is not only a celebration of uh, Jesus coming to Bethlehem many years ago at Christmas, although we are celebrating that. Uh, Advent is also a celebration of the hope that Christians have for Jesus to come again, right? The second Advent, we could call that. We're in between right now. We look back to Christmas and say, thank you, God. We rejoice at the event of Christmas and how it has changed everything, including our lives. But we also look ahead to that final return of our Savior that will actually do away with the suffering and pain that we know, right? That will restore shalom to all of creation, finally for good. And Jesus will truly reign. We will no longer experience the conflict of uh, humanity's sin and God's holiness because Jesus will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And so this morning, uh, we look ahead to that as well. We give thanks to God for this hope of the salvation that, that we do know now, but that we will fully know at the perfect time. And so with that in mind, we say, come Lord Jesus. Um, before inviting you uh, to receive communion, I wanted to conclude in a slightly different way than we normally do perhaps at the gate. I thought we could pray together um, I have a prayer that you, you may have heard or may not have. Um, it's called the Prayer of St. Francis. And so as it's behind me on the screen and I pray, I just invite you to pray out loud if you want or, or pray in your heart with me as we close and say these words um, to God. So let's pray together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console to be understood as to understand, 
to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.